You're listening to Weld Found, a podcast about belonging in an age of social isolation and disconnection, brought to you by the Weld Community Foundation. For more information on this nonprofit that does things like grants and scholarships and community leadership, please stop by weldcommunityfoundation.org. I'm your host, Tim Coons, and this is a special episode for us, talking about COVID-19 and Weld County, and I'm just going to jump right into our intro here. Two nights ago, I was driving home from work, and all the news stories on the radio were about the coronavirus, and then we had friends over for dinner, we talked about it over the meal, and then I read about it lying in bed in every Facebook story that I scrolled through. I even dreamed about COVID-19 that night, and the next day, I think it was just yesterday, it really hit me. I've never experienced a collective concern like this before. Not at this level. Maybe during 9-11 within our nation, but this feels different. We are having a global, all-consuming conversation right now, and it's an important one. And within this collective concern, there's so much going on in the conversation. And I, I would say this, there's a lot of fear, almost an air of dread about it. But also in this conversation, there's glimpses of real flippancy like, why are we making such a big deal of this? Here's where this podcast lands. As a, a people of this community, we don't want to go off the edge when it comes to fear and dread. And on the other side, we certainly don't want to take a stance on, well, you know, I'll just get a little sick, so it doesn't matter that much to me. No, we want to be calmly centered. There are things to be concerned about. And the concern is going to move us into prevention and preparedness. Because it's from that place, being centered in the collective concern, that can move us into spaces of heroic community action. This is our opportunity to make a great impact against a looming threat. And so we are presenting two stories here. The first is this, a conversation with Dr. Justin Walker about COVID-19. Because here's what I need sometimes. I can read the stories online. I can look at the websites. I can try to sort the facts from all the spin. But sometimes I just need somebody I know and trust from my own backyard. Somebody I can go to and say, hey, uh, what's going on here? Dr. Walker has been in this community for years, and he made himself available for a short conversation in this episode. The second thing I want to present to you is a little different. Within our collective concern, I want to be honest with you. I'm feeling tired. I'm a little worn out on the conversation. I don't want to leave the conversation. I want to take a deep breath. I want to take a moment so that I can be strong in these days to come. Last month, I interviewed a woman. Her name's Jamie Clapp. She does incredible work for Northrange. She's a counselor that follows alongside emergency calls, and she'll help those who are having maybe a severe mental crisis or a bad trip from drug use. And I asked her, how do you do that day after day? How do you deal with being tired and worn out? What do you do for self-care to repair yourself after all of that pouring out? And she responded with this. She said, I play piano. She said, it's like free flowing. I make it up as I go along piano and it's like centering prayer for me. 
And so after we hear from Dr. Walker, I'll be giving us some space today. I recorded Jamie playing piano, making it up as she goes along. I encourage you to listen and relax, breathing deep, allowing this time to be a time of letting go of fear and feel more centered. If you're a praying person, this is a space to allow yourself to be with God. First, conversation with Dr. Justin Walker, and then a piano session with Jamie Clapp. Welcome, my friends, to Weldfound. Let me let me begin with this. I uh, loved someone put on my Facebook feed uh, a post that said, "Credible medical experts, please step to the mic. All others, step aside." And <laughs> I really, I really liked that. I thought that was great. Um, and so you you are going to be our uh, medical expert for the moment. And and so um, I'm going to introduce folks to you. This is Dr. Justin Walker. And so we've had you guys as a family over for dinner. Um, you guys have bought my wife's artwork. <laughs> our kids have played <laughs> together. And... Uh, and so, yeah, like I've, I've been reading articles, I've been checking the CDC website for information, but I, I wanted to just say, here's, you know, here's a doctor who's someone I know, someone who I would trust, and I just, I would love to hear your medical opinion, um, kind of free from all the hype, and all, especially free from all of the uh, politicizing of things, and just say, let's have a conversation. I would love to ask you some questions and just hear what you had to say uh, as a friend. And, um, and so with that, can you, can you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you work, how long you've been there, what your role is? Yeah, sounds good. So um, I've had the opportunity to live and work here in Greeley for the um, past 12 and a half years. I am a family physician. I get to see patients in clinic, uh, in the hospital, I deliver babies, um, and I also get to work in resident education with our uh, family medicine residency program in town. And, and sorry, what was that last thing? Uh, medical resident what? <laughs> yeah, so I also am involved in training the family medicine residents oh, okay. here in Greeley. Awesome. And I, yeah, I've talked with you a little bit about that, and, and that's been a part of your work that you've really enjoyed, right? Yeah, it is. Uh, it's really rewarding and fun to um, to get to work with um, young physicians, and also there's a lot of benefit to to you as the teacher. Um, certainly, they often do a lot of the teaching, which is is great and kind of keeps you up to date on on some of the more recent developments in medicine. Okay, awesome. Um, the first thing that I would love to have a conversation with you about. Um, is just where we're at today. And, and today, what we're seeing is, um, I, heard so, I heard a speaker say, uh, it feels like it's the thing before the thing. <laughs> like, it, like, it feels like it feels like there's like, we're in a space of like, we're completely in a new arena. Like this is, this is something that feels brand new to a lot of us. And it feels like it hasn't quite happened yet. It feels like something's like kind of looming on the horizon. And there, there's been all these school closings and all these um, professional sports, college sports, closing things up, performance venues, you know, all these high traffic areas 
that are, are, are really cutting down, closing up shop. And, and the response is, is like, it's like, Ooh, okay. I remember like when I found out the NBA was, was, um, canceling the rest of the season, <laughs> like, like my jaw dropped. And this is, this is really, this is really cynical of me, but it was like, it was like, you know, um, stopping the spread of disease is one thing. Economics is another thing. And, mm. and I thought to myself, oh, no, if, if that much economics, if, if that much money's on the line and they're canceling it, then I think they're anticipating something pretty, pretty strong. And, and so, like, I think a, a question that is uh, really in the, in the minds of um, some of the people that I've been talking with is, are we overdoing this? Uh, like there's kind of this nervousness of like like whoa 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 are we are we overdoing this here, and so would you speak to this idea of um, what I've been also reading is is this idea of social distancing, and um, yeah would you would you speak to that? Yeah, definitely. So I I strongly agree with your um, your opinion about this kind of already but not yet like it's here it's really affecting our lives but yet we haven't seen. A lot of disease burden yet, thankfully, um, in our country. And um, so I think that um, certainly from all of the things that I've been reading and trying to stay up to date on, which honestly is pretty hard because um, as I think a lot of us have recognized, the information is changing so quickly, the data, the numbers, um, number of cases, or, you know, all those things are moving so quickly. Um, and um, so it is a little bit hard to even keep up with with what's happening. Um, I think that that because it's it's uh, thankfully not so many cases yet in the United States, it's a really good time um, for us uh, to make the changes. Um, and I can talk a little more about what those are and refer you to um, some websites that would have more details. Um, but I think this is definitely um, the time where we have the opportunity to make some changes that could um, impact how how much this actually does affect the health of our communities um, and certainly in particular our elderly population. Um, so yeah, the, the term that's being thrown around a lot is this idea of social distancing. Um, and I think, um, you know, that is somewhat self-explanatory, but um, if we had any question of what that meant, maybe things like the NCAA tournament being canceled, the NBA season being suspended, NHL, you know, et cetera, schools um, all around, theme parks, you know, the first time I think Disney has, like, ever closed their doors. Uh, since oh, I didn't open. hear that. The Disney, so, Disney closed, huh? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, I think at least to the end of the month or something like that. Um, so, yeah, so I think that, um, you know, these are the, the kinds of steps that we, we are taking and honestly should be taking now in order to, um, as the popular term that I think a lot of us have also uh, seen already out there in this, this graphic, um, this idea of flattening the curve. Um, and so now that the World Health Organization has called this a pandemic and clearly it's, it's kind of spreading across uh, the world and not only in in China or, or these few limited countries where it really, really um, started from. Um, but um, really kind of this is an opportunity to make some changes to slow the spread um, of the disease and in that way um, help to prevent from um, overwhelming our healthcare system. 
I was reading about in Italy where, you know, they went from um, hundreds of cases to um, I think the most recent number I saw was like over 17,000 cases, which is actually near what China um, has had total. Um, but, but you know, not making the changes in time could lead to, to something um, like what Italy is seeing. And unfortunately, you know, there they really seem to be struggling uh, in terms of having the healthcare facilities, uh, healthcare providers uh, enough to to really provide for those who are, are very ill. Um, and so I think that's what we want to prevent. And that's what um, certainly all these very dramatic measures are trying to do. Uh, we have a nonprofit training class that is this Thursday, and a guy is coming from Longmont to teach it. And there's mm. going to be about 20 to 25 of us there, and it's on like training your board. And mm. um, so to me, it's like I'm not sure where that, where that falls for social distancing because we're supposed mm. to be avoiding larger crowds. Anything 250 and over has been like, no, no, like we'll cut that off. What about these smaller groups of like 20 to 30? Yeah, this is a great question, and I think these are the questions that a lot of us are asking ourselves and each other uh, right now. Um, probably a couple of concepts to um, to at least think about when we're asking ourselves these questions. Um, one would be maybe just to explain briefly the transmission of the COVID-19 virus. Um, it is believed to be airborne, so that means if someone coughs or sneezes, and you're within six feet of that person, um, you potentially could get exposed and become ill. Um, so I think that's, you know, kind of that social distancing concept um, comes into play there. Um, you know, the other things people are emphasizing are, you know, good hand hygiene, you know, wash your hands frequently, soap and water, um, using alcohol seems to be effective um, to, to kill the virus. Um, don't touch your face, um, things like this. And so certainly... We need to be very uh, conscientious about all these um, how to prevent from getting sick in general <laughs> concepts that um, we could actually all do with um, regardless of uh, the coronavirus. Um, the other thing to emphasize is, you know, maybe in general, if you have some cough or cold and, um, you know, you have a meeting to go to, it's not that big a deal, but certainly in this current context, um, I think it's wise to anyone with some of those symptoms of cough, um, especially kind of if they feel it deeper in their chest, uh, fever, shortness of breath, any of anyone with those kind of symptoms, uh, it's certainly just better to stay away from groups uh, of any size at this point in time. Um, and so I think it's hard to, to know with every single possible family, you know, get together or, you know, small group uh, interaction. Um, you know, I know churches are, are struggling to know, you know, whether to keep their doors open and continue services. And, and certainly those who can um, move online in terms of schools or um, even even uh, workplace environments, a lot of people are moving that direction. And so I think collectively, the more um, as an entire community and entire country and entire world that we can um, work at making those small changes and being conscientious of um, things that could spread disease. Um, I think that, you know, certainly just the better it is for, for all of us in terms of, of the extent of, of um, the outbreak. 
the, those are great notes. I, I think that's the, super important. Uh, now you have to answer my question, though. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> should I cancel it or not? What would you do? Ah, uh, man, you know, again, I think if um, if there's a meeting that can go virtual, that's that's ideal. If it's not going to be too disruptive, um, if you know, if there's a group of 20 or 25 people, um, you know, Weld County, the most recent numbers I saw today uh, is only two positive cases. Um, of course, the concern is, you know, as more tests come in, you know, how quickly will that number go up? You know, are there a number of people we're just not, you know, quite aware of yet? Um, and so, you know, I think a number, a number of people, like 20, 25 people who are going to um, not show up sick, we're going to practice good hand hygiene who maybe will sit more than six feet <laughs> from their neighbor. Um, you know, another thing that's being promoted throughout um, different different communities and bodies that are still meeting is a no handshake policy. Um, and I know that that can feel, you know, unfriendly. I've, I've been trying to not shake people's hands myself this week and, and sometimes, uh, you know, feel like, you know, that can be perceived as rude or whatnot. But I think those kinds of um, uh, modifications to to how we interact and even when we are physically together um, are things that are worth uh, implementing and, and, and trying to put in place. So there's a very modified, yes, go ahead, Matt, have your meeting, uh, I guess. <laughs> totally. And... and um... We're probably going to cancel it, but <laughs> <laughs> but I wanted your. There were too many qualifications there, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is a this is a larger question, but I I would assume you've had some conversations with your peers in this uh, of like, what can we expect this to be like in Weld County? What will this hmm. look like uh, for us, possibly uh, in where we live? Yeah, um, so certainly it's um, obviously the hot topic in, in medicine right now, and certainly I've been having conversations with my colleagues about it. Um, so, you know, we're all, I think, keep up with the recommendations. Certainly, um, you know, the, the healthcare institutions in town are sending out updates to um, healthcare providers trying to keep us all in the loop about um, where we should refer patients who's going to get tested, how they're going to get tested, ways to triage people to um, um, to try to avoid uh, contact between people who are sick and, you know, eventually possibly could um, have the coronavirus. Um, and so I think, you know, those processes are in place and honestly moving so fast that um, not being someone who's in those meetings myself at the moment, um, there's there's already been updates and changes and, and um, things that I haven't even um, heard about yet. Um, so I think, you know, things like you see in Denver where there's a, a place you can drive up and get tested uh, right in your car, um, that kind of a model is a great idea. Um, of course, the, um, the demand for, for that testing was so much that um, when I recently checked the website, They've actually had to close that down for the rest of the day and tell people in line that they can come back tomorrow, <laughs> you know, that kind of a thing. So, um, you know, I think that um, unfortunately there's a little bit of racing to catch up just with um, 
you know, I, I know the public's um, desire to to be tested to know whether they, um, you know, their their illness they may may have right now is actually um, the coronavirus or just one of the many other possible viruses, including influenza, but but many others that um, are still circulating in the community um, at this time. So I think one of the things maybe just to mention is a little bit of what the typical symptoms are of uh, COVID-19, and so people can maybe know whether their symptoms um, might be uh, coronavirus. Still, the most important thing is to know whether you've been exposed to someone who has been traveling in an endemic area, most of which are Europe and um, China and South Korea, but also now, um, you know, in the Seattle area, certain areas of California, um, you know, and again, these things are changing so quickly that by the time someone might listen to this podcast, there's probably a new list. (laughs) So um, with that in mind, going to cdc.gov and um, looking for the most updated information there. Um, Colorado.gov and going to the public health website for Colorado um, has a lot of great uh, more local statistics and information. Um, and um, so I think for, for those of you who are sick and might wonder, could this be the coronavirus? Uh, the first thing to ask is, have I possibly been exposed to someone who has had traveled to one of these endemic areas um, or has already tested positive here locally? Um, as far as um, some of the statistics on symptoms, and as I uh, was talking to you about earlier before recording, um, one thing that I hear from my wife is that statistics don't speak to my fears. <laughs> so, um, so for those of, for those people who are more um, maybe statistics minded, maybe this will be more helpful, and, and for others, maybe not. But um, Fever is the most common symptom, 88% uh, in one real large study that the World Health Organization did in China. Um, fever was 88% and kind of the most common. Um, cough, whether a dry cough or kind of coughing stuff up, is, is you know right up there as well. Um, and then shortness of breath is next at about 19% of the people they studied. So fever, cough, and shortness of breath are the, the main symptoms that you want to be watching for. Um, and this is just to emphasize this is a lower respiratory infection. So if you're kind of coughing and you feel that deep in your chest, that's probably more concerning. Um, notably, only 5% of people with a stuffy nose um, uh, had the coronavirus in this study. Okay, interesting. Okay. That's great to know. Thank you. The, the other one that, that is um, a large question that is uh, probably the one that, that incites the most fear with folks is, like, how deadly is this? And I would love for you to um, speak about who's most at risk, but also, like, talk about I mean, the first thing that I think about. Both you and I have larger families. We both have four kiddos. And, um, right? You, got, you have four kids, right? I do, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I was like, yeah, that was a full house when we were all hanging out. Um, <laughs> that was great. We were very overwhelmed. Yes, yeah, um, yeah. You, you and I, we, we both have larger families, and um, so, so, what are what are the stats on uh, kiddos, and then also speak to uh, older aging adults too. Yeah, of course. Um, I think this is a really important point to be aware of with the coronavirus. Um, What they're seeing through the numbers we have so far is that um, 
thankfully this doesn't seem to really make kids sick very often. Um, so, so very few um, children, percentage-wise, only like two percent of the, you know, eighty thousand people in China who who uh, were confirmed to be sick with COVID nineteen were were um, people under nineteen years of age. Um, and so, you know, those of us with small children, to me, that's, you know, a small comfort in the midst of all of this is that, um, at least thankfully, it seems unlikely I have to worry about um, my kids' uh, health or well-being, at least in a, a more serious uh, fashion. Um, but I think, you know, certainly um, we need to be in particular concerned about those in our community who are elderly, who have um, lung disease, uh, heart disease, diabetes, uh, kidney disease, or any other um, really serious chronic medical conditions. Um, so they're saying people um, over 60 and especially over 80 are um, at the most risk of getting um, um, the most ill uh, or even dying from the, the COVID-19 infection. Um, and so, you know, I think there could be an attitude of... Um, you know, oh good, that's not me. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm only going to get a cold. So why should I change my lifestyle? Um, but I think, you know, certainly that thought of um, who are the the older people in your life that you care about, um, you know, and and certainly thinking about their their uh, well being, encouraging, especially our elderly and and more vulnerable populations to to really practice some strict social distancing um, at this time would be, I think, a pretty wise thing to do. Um, and, and kind of the other, uh, the other thing that relates to all of us is if we work at flattening the curve, like we were talking about, um, in terms of slowing the spread, um, it would help allow our healthcare systems, uh, our clinics and hospitals, our ICUs um, to have capacity to handle um, taking care of those who are really ill from this. And so I think that's um, certainly something where, again, you know, a place like Italy where their ICUs are are uh, probably overstretched and, and they're not able to care as well as they would like for um, for the number of people that are, are critically ill. And that's what we want to avoid here. I think that's great. It's um, th- this, you know, this podcast, you know, this show, and and one of the things that's super important to me is this um, constant understanding of who's in your community and who's really your neighbor, and mm-hmm. and uh, of course, like there's layers to this, but but it starts with like I belong to this community, and it's not just me, and it's not just my family. And then it's not just the people that I like and hang out with or my social groups. <laughs> it is actually beyond generation. And actually, it's beyond nationality. It is like I, I am a member, I'm a citizen of this world. And, um, and I find myself growing up as a human to be continuously challenged to go beyond the last tribe that I decided to, to join. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And um, and for me, this um, this disease hitting the world, it, it's a little bit of like you know, if there's going to be a challenge that comes out of this, what does it look like to to love our neighbors? And your neighbor is China, Italy, mm. Korea, Canada, Mexico, like like this entirety mm-hmm. of of a global population, and. Um, 
And so I, I think that, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm so glad that you spoke into that language of, of um, people saying things like, well, you know, I'm, I'm not fear at risk. Good for me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to travel wherever I want. I wanna, I'm going to do these things however I want. And so it's like, well, this is your opportunity to actually share compassion and, and, uh, and show an empathy for people outside of your own group. It feels like uh, the contagion level of this uh, virus in particular, that it spreads super fast. Is that true? Yeah, so I think um, from what I've from what I've read um, and from what we're seeing uh, across across the globe, it is um, more infectious than the influenza, um, which is also an airborne illness. Um, it seems to be you know more infectious than like the SARS um, um, outbreak in China a number of years back. Um, thankfully, it's not. Um, as deadly as, as SARS, um, but of course, you know, the fact that it can spread more easily um, makes it uh, more challenging. And, and, and I guess, in a sense, the, the fact that um, something like 80% of people who have it are only going to have mild symptoms. Um, so those things actually make, uh, make it a bit more of a challenge to, um, to stop the spread. Mm, yeah. Okay. Have you been reading the the most? I haven't seen the most recent sites or uh, stats on um, death rate when it comes to compared to flu. Um, what does it look like uh, for people um, as as things are coming in compared to the flu? Yeah, so I think that that um, it's a little bit challenging to get incredibly accurate numbers on how, um, you know, how high the mortality rate is with um, COVID-19. Certainly it's greater than the influenza, um, which typically is less than 1% or quite a bit less than 1%. Um, The World Health Organization a a little while back put out a percentage that was 3.4%. Um, there were there was some pushback on that with some other studies that that thought maybe more like two and a half percent or even between 0.7 and two and a half percent. So, you know, I think it's a little challenging to know exactly where that's at. When I just looked at the the stats on the CDC website last night, um, and you count up the confirmed positive cases in the United States, um, and then just you know divide that by the the number of deaths uh, that they're attributing to COVID-19 in the U.S. Um, it did come out to about 3%, but again, because 80% of people have only mild symptoms, you would assume that probably a lot of people who are um, mildly ill may not even present for uh, for care or for testing. Um, so I think, you know, again, those things could kind of skew the numbers, but that gives at least a ballpark of... of um, of how dangerous or how deadly the, the virus is. Yeah, and what I what I hear in that is, um, I well, th- that's the reason we're concerned is that this seems to spread faster than influenza, and uh, has a, a a worse rate of of death per case. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, definitely somewhere between. Um, living in, in a great deal of fear and and just thinking it's um, all to do about nothing. Somewhere in the middle there, I think, is the more responsible and, and also um, 
probably just just where we should land in terms of being being safe, making the changes um, to help decrease the spread, and um, especially for those who are most susceptible. Um, so I think I saw that in Japan, where there was um, more widespread outbreak, no one under 60 actually died from COVID-19. And I think it was no one under 50 in, in South Korea. So again, you know, for those of us who, who are younger, especially younger and without major medical conditions, I think those numbers um, should be somewhat reassuring uh, for our own health, our own safety, and certainly for, for um, that of our children, which um, thankfully is, is, um, is quite low. But um, those who who are at risk and vulnerable in our population, yes, this is a, a virus that is more deadly and more dangerous uh, to to them and to their health than the flu. Um, and um, we have a, a flu vaccine that's you know typically between 40 and 60 percent effective any given season. And we have herd immunity from prior years of influenza and getting ill or having shots in the past. Um, so. Um, this this COVID-19, because it is a new virus to humans, um, unfortunately, there's none of that herd immunity. Um, there's no vaccination yet, which, of course, people are working on uh, feverishly. But, um, yeah, I think in the meantime, um, being responsible, level-headed, being willing to make the, um, the small sacrifices in our lives to, um, to help protect the most vulnerable um, in, our, in our community, I think, is, is the right thing to do. That's solid. That's solid. It's, um, for me, like a wrap up there is, um, we don't want to exist in deep fear and we don't want to exist in flippancy. Uh, somewhere, Mm -hmm. somewhere in the middle there, we want to be, uh, calm and, uh, preventative and, um, and then also like in knowing what we know, now we have the opportunity to act and to help those who are most at risk. Yeah. Huge thanks to Dr. Walker for his time and to all of our healthcare workers who are on the front lines fighting this right now. We thank you so much. Now, when I recorded Jamie Clapp playing piano last month, it was so relaxing and centering for me. This is how she does self-care, how she allows herself to be rejuvenated and refreshed after pouring herself out in this difficult job that she has as a counselor for Northrange. And here's what she had to say about it. So, um, when you play, what, what makes that um, restorative for you? Um. It always feels like coming back home. It always feels like um, there's just a connection. Um, it's definitely spiritual for me. There's a lot of communication um, between me and the Lord, and just um, it's a whole lot of what's in my heart that comes out in my hands. And it's just uh, peaceful. It restores peace and communion, and just that solid foundation of everything's okay and and so that's and the funny thing about it is that it always takes me a while to come back to the piano and I have it's like um I don't know it's almost like there's a a doorway a a pressing through that I have to do in terms of 
getting rid of my analytical mind and my thinking and everything. It's always a process just to enter into it. Um, I'm noticing lately it's easier and easier just to sit down and be in the moment. Um, but I dread that process of pressing through those pieces of me that get in the way before I can really just absorb it and drink it in and be at peace and at rest. Um, typically when I'm playing for people, um, they get there first <laughs> before I enter into it. And so I, always, I used to play at a different program for some of the members and um, they would fall asleep while I was playing. And I, I, it would take me so long to get to that spot where I was that rested. And um, it, so it's taking less time, but really that's what it's about for me. It's about just, it's, it, it's peaceful and calm and eventually I can tune everything else out and just hyper-focus on doing it. Yeah. Yeah, as I was, as I was sitting there, it was a, a very restorative, restful time for me to be able yeah. to listen and think through why do I feel real busy this week? Yeah. Why do I feel like there's some weight on my shoulders? And it's like, I don't know if I necessarily need that weight there. And yeah. like, <laughs> like yeah. just being able to take a deeper breath. Yeah. It was just lovely. So oh, thank, thank you. you. Yeah, thank oh, you. Oh, man. We're going to listen in on Jamie playing. Like for a while. I'm going to let this play out for the next 30-some minutes. Do you need a moment to take a deep breath? Are you feeling worn out from all this talk about pandemic and the collective concern that we're feeling? I want you to imagine yourself somewhere comfortable, maybe a favorite place in your imagination, and allow this to be a time of centering, to feel like you're being put back together again, poured into. Thank you for listening to Weld Found. Stay safe, friends. <laughs>